It all began on March 31st, 1985. Welcome to the greatest sports entertainment spectacular of all time. Welcome to WrestleMania. And from that historic moment on, the world has witnessed the greatest main events in sports entertainment history. Center stage at WrestleMania. That was then. This is now. A fatal four-way elimination match. The World Wrestling Federation's biggest WrestleMania ever. See a McMahon in each corner. The fatal four-way elimination match for the WWE titles. A dysfunctional family. What the hell kind of family did I marry into? Stephanie slapped her own mother. Take it to the West Ham Bits. One man's dream will come true. One man only will raise the WWF Championship when the battle is over. Triple H, The Big Show, The Rock, Mick Foley. WrestleMania, where championship lore is born and legends live forever. This is the crowning achievement in sports entertainment. myself in my spare time for fun to talk about a block of fucking cheese in, in a, I, I can't i can't do it i I don't, I don't even know what to say without sounding like a complete and utter dick can you can um, you pronounce can you pronounce his name what, what was it well chester cheesington or whatever the fuck it was chester mccheeserton there, there yeah. we go it's, a, it's not like it was i can't remember the name i can pronounce <laughs> El Gigante. El Fuck off. And Aguila. I don't know what's wrong with Aguila, but apparently you can't do that either. I know. I'm not, I'm not going there. But I I remember Al Snow trying to call the tag team head cheese at one point. And I do remember Steve Blackman wearing like a hat of cheese. Ha ha ha. But but I didn't remember the, the, the block of cheese mascot. And fuck's sake. I mean... <laughs> Stephen, what did you think of this? I just love this because it feels like something's popped in Matt, like his brain. Like he was so high about the Tristratus boob stuff, now he's so low talking about the cheese. There was an important bit about the cheese that wasn't mentioned. Is that the whoa, cheese? Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> You just planted some horrendous images in everybody's <laughs> mind there. I've, Basically, I've got... Matt, Matt got really high for Tristratus and then came very low with the cheese. <laughs> I, I found it really grating, but there we go. Yeah, love a classic. <laughs> grating. <laughs> Do you know what? I have to admit, I didn't even intend that to be cheese pie. It just happened. So there we go. Yeah. That's unbelievable, that is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice stuff very good indeed um mm. i could go on forever but i'm not going to anymore um it would be a little bit stilted no that doesn't quite work um right yes terrible i don't know how <laughs> steven's lost it now. <laughs> sorry sorry it's just... a block of cheese that's why <laughs> <laughs> this show is quite something isn't it really 2000 wwf well wow. 
Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and while WrestleMania season this year might now be behind us, WrestleMania season on this podcast continues ever onward as we take on a challenging edition of the Showcase of the Immortals, if for no other reason than I'm still not entirely sure whether to call it WrestleMania 16 or WrestleMania 2000. Here to help me wade through this one are a pair of gentlemen also with creative nomenclature. Firstly, we have the polar bear, Matt Robert. Gentlemen, I could not say that ten times fast. <laughs> and also Stephen Lemon and Coriander. Lovely. Yeah, I'm okay. I mean, you know, we recorded this soon after WrestleMania 39, so you know, what could anyone possibly be upset with after that? So yeah, <laughs> it's been quite interesting for me because I didn't watch it. I still haven't watched it. I was too busy to even pay attention. I was my mm. son's birthday this weekend, Good and birthday. so I was like, I'm just gonna ignore it all. And obviously, I saw, I've seen the main event result, and I probably just through having seen various things, I've seen all the results now and to be honest like it's hard to be angry about it because i said i didn't watch it but um it definitely sounded like it made an impression on you guys maybe there'll be a an episode that we will already have done comes out before this about that potentially we will see it may Back not be to the there. future yeah indeed, <laughs> indeed so um yeah we take on wrestlemania 16 or wrestlemania 2000 i know matt your opinion on this is wrestlemania 16 steven what, what do you think well it was wrestlemania 2000 until they realized that everything 2000 was so massively overplayed and they just dropped it so it's 2000 all the way through and then you get to the event and it's nothing it's not too, there's no there's no 2000 anywhere in the set or anything and this was something that irrationally pissed me off when i was 18 years old at the time of this event and i was so much so that on my vhs copy of this event i wrote six 16 rather than 2000 so there we go <laughs> in big byron like really big letters <laughs> yeah 16 written out as well oh in roman numerals obviously yeah oh, not, oh no yeah. I, I thought you were gonna do that you know like on the in the old days on the video printer on grandstand if there was a really big score they'd have like i don't know Norwich City 7 Burton Albion nil. but if after the 7 just to make sure that they showed you it wasn't a mistake they used to write 7 and in brackets and I thought maybe yep. you did that with uh, WrestleMania 16 they rubbed it into that losing team yes it was 7 and that's so unbelievable we've had to spell it out for you so yeah I mean the, my biggest concern was always what happens when you get to WrestleMania 2000 I know no one living is going to have to deal with this problem but still you know in 1950 years they're going to start worrying about this like we're coming up to WrestleMania 2000 there, but we've already had one. Vince will still be booking because all the billions of dollars he's made, he'll, he'll have somehow become immortal. So yeah, <laughs> he probably will. He probably mm. still will be booking. I mean, he. I mean, his whole look at the moment is an attempt to de-age him. Certainly, I'm not sure it worked very well, but there you go. Mm. Yeah, it's just weird look. Well, I, I hope that WrestleMania 16 can get Stephen out of his funk because he is seriously. You can tell. You just see. I mean, is it partially also that you're tired because you stayed up to watch WrestleMania? Um, and- yeah, and I finally set up the second night. So it wasn't too bad, though I was doom scrolling for 45 minutes afterwards. Um, so <laughs> I didn't get to bed straight away. But I think actually, to be honest, guys, I was in a t- If we'd done this at midday today, I was in a fucking terrible mood, a terrible mood. But now, like, the dust is starting to settle. I did a bit, a little workout. Marbella's 11 weeks away. Shoulders and arms. Let's get on it. And I listened to a bit of Kelly Clarkson break away. And I'm just letting the anger seep out <laughs> of my body. And I'm here with you two. And I'm just getting more and more cheery. And we, we've we potentially already talked about it on the bonus show, so I don't want to give anything away on that. So let's uh, let's just settle in and we'll enjoy WrestleMania 16 slash 2000. Yeah, and here's hoping it doesn't seep out whilst we're live on air because that would be pretty <laughs> awkward. 
So expectations for WrestleMania 16's last 2000. Let's start with you, Matt. What did you? Uh, what were you looking for with this one? We're getting to a point now where I remember pretty much everything that happened in, in all the shows going forward from here. So this wasn't the first one that I'd seen, but I have seen it before. So expectations for this one, I kind of had an idea what was going on, but I did forget the majority of the main card. So I was thinking, okay, you know, maybe there might be some good stuff on there. Like other than the main event, yeah, like for the main card, I, I was actually looking forward to it. Before I go any further, why, why do you keep saying main card as if there's like a, 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 a extensive undercard that wasn't included? I'm confused. That's, that, that's the, the fight fan in me. Main main card and main event, they're different things. Oh, fuck off. Uh, a look behind the curtain in RWR Towers. I volunteered to do WrestleMania 15, but in volunteering, I didn't want to give this one up because I was wondering whether, you know, it might end up with me not getting this one because I actually was quite, I remembered almost nothing about this other than the main event, but I thought 2000 WWF crowd must be an electric. This must have been better than I remember it. I don't remember, although I remember a lot of um, a lot of my friends were around to watch it live. So yeah, I was quite looking forward to watching this again. Yeah, so I had the memory of this one as being really just about two matches and those two matches remembering that they were, or believing that they were very, very good and everything else relatively forgettable. That's what I was expecting going in. My memory of this is also that it was, to your point, Stephen, a rare not particularly high point in ring for WWF during this year because 2000 is for me a very good year in ring very good year in story this was a little bit lacking from memory so I was kind of a little bit reticent here didn't know what we were going to get hoping that there was some you know hidden charms in amongst all this that would that would excite me now I wanted to um, begin today's show before we go into talking point just to set the scene a little bit by uh, giving you a little bit of uh, 35 years of Wrestlemania it is because we didn't really have a a quote from it last time because uh, they didn't have anything to say about the big boss man being hung surprisingly (laughs) so this one all I say is the, the opening entry for this WrestleMania and they've called it WrestleMania 2000 by the way leading into WrestleMania 2000 two of WWE's top superstars were unable to com- compete Stone Cold Steve Austin underwent spinal surgery not only would he not be in a match at WrestleMania 2000 his future as a performer was unknown Undertaker was recovering from an injury and like Austin he would not be appearing at WrestleMania 2000 the absence of these two iconic figures would create a void at the event but that void would be an opportunity for the next generation of superstars to step up and make their mark I think that's a lovely little intro to today show so talking points straight in Stephen let's go with you all right well you've you've set a, set a little scene there from Wrestlemania 35 year book I'm gonna little set a little scene about my life in 2000 so this was a really exciting time in my life this was final few months of A-levels I wasn't going to university so I basically didn't turn up for any of my A-levels I was out all the time all the time attending about one third of lessons every single Friday without failing Croydon sniffing around girls that had no interest in me at all or being friend zoned firmly by by others Hawaiian shirts I even had a, sh- a black silk shirt with flames all over it I was a massive loser but I was loving life and everything was exciting this is the early days of adulthood for me so I look back on this time so so fondly and I think actually as well I, I already touched on it this was the biggest turnout I ever had at my parents house for a wrestling show and, and this went on for years I, I I left at the criminally old age of 26 and pretty much every single Royal Rumble I would have people around and WrestleMania is 
up to the point where I was going. Actually, this is the last one before I went. Um, and I think there might have been eight or ten people, eight, nine or ten people at my parents' house for this. Because at that time, in this early 2000 period, the WWF was absolutely humongous here. It was on Channel 4, Raw Rumble had been on. So my talking point is, was this the hottest the WWF has ever been in the UK? Even more so than SummerSlam 92. Because it felt like, and I've said even the girls, and I don't want to appear sexist, but the girls who, you know, we all, we've all been to wrestling events. You queue up to go into the, the gents' toilet and the women's toilet's completely clear because the audience is 80% men. But the girls in our college had a passing interest in this. Everyone, I remember one of the guys would play like whatever the WWF the music was and all the guys, oh, this is quite cool. This is Chris Jericho's entrance music, isn't it? I'm like, how do you know that? And I saw it on Channel 4. My brother watched it. Everyone knew what was going on. So that's my talking point. Was this the hottest time in the UK the WWF's ever been? Matt, what, what do you think? Do you know? Have you got any perspective on this? What would you, <laughs> you've been 10 years old, so I imagine it's not easy for you to... <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a bit of a difficult one for me to respond to. I, I, I definitely can say that amongst the amongst you know my friends now, and and certainly around about at that time as well, I mean, you know, my closest friends now, when they look back on their sort of, you know, moments of wrestling like they liked as a child, around about 2000 is typically the year that they do tend to bring up like a really close friend of mine just absolutely loves Mick Foley um like to this day like he, the only wrestling match that he practically will say that that is any good was Cactus Jack versus Triple H at the Royal Rumble so he adores that but whether or not it's, it's the, the the best year ever for UK fans I mean so I think it was the biggest deal here at that time rather than it was the best year I would say to 10 year old me at the time <laughs> probably not too sure but <laughs> I, I don't know I, I feel we we've had it it's been hotter and it's been more popular in a weird one I, I kind of think around 2006 to around 2007 which is a bit of a random year I know but certainly where I live it was relatively popular around about that time and it has been more popular since so I'm, I'm not quite sure about that well it's very difficult isn't it because I wasn't at school in 2006 just like I wasn't in school in 2012 or 2018 or any of those years so for mm. all I know lots and lots of people were talking about it. all I can say is that since I got into wrestling in 1994 since that point and up to the end of my schooling which was 2000 it was never hotter than it was in 2000 it was massive like in 1994 and through to about 97 98 even i'd argue you had to kind of hide that you were into wrestling in my school anyway it just wasn't a thing that people openly did and you kind of had the pockets of people that you knew liked wrestling and you could talk about it but you also knew when to stop talking about it because it would paint you as something strange and weird that was not the case anymore in 2000 even 2001 i'd say possibly even into 2002 because that was my school and my last year of school and my two sixth form years absolutely through the roof everybody knew everybody knew about it not just the wrestling fans everybody kind of had an idea of what was going on or kind of knew something about it it was humongous like absolutely giant i can remember one of the episodes of smackdown around this time it was on a saturday morning i think 11 o'clock 10 o'clock 11 o'clock something like that i sat down to watch it and stephanie slapped linda in this particular segment and my mum even for a moment got into it like she was just oh my god i can't believe she's done that you know it's just it was mad it was like it was genuinely pulling people in so i i think in my own experience this is definitely the hottest wrestling was ever and has ever been in this country now again it's difficult to say that but having said that on one piece of genuine non-opinion based 
evidence is, as you said, Stephen, it was on Channel 4. An actual, at the time, what we called the terrestrial tra- channels actually had it. That has not happened since. It didn't happen before. I think it did a little bit in the late 80s in, on ITV. And it did, obviously, WCW was on ITV as well for a bit. But WWF just had not been for my entire life, basically, on those channels. Typically, it came just after I got cable. But yeah, and four of the pay-per-views were on Channel 4 as well. So I don't know. I think there's definitely a good case for it. Definitely. I mean, as I say, it's hard because I wasn't at school after that point. Yeah, <laughs> but, I haven't really uh, considered that, which is the counter-argument that unless you're hanging around school gates, which is a, a different <laughs> thing. Is that, exactly. You're not going to know, are you? Interviewing kids. Who's that yeah. nonsense guy that keeps turning up and interviewing us about wrestling? I just want to know about the wrestling guys. Come on. <laughs> what would be really interesting is if somebody was working in 2000 could tell us if in their workplace people mm. were talking about it, that would probably make the difference because I've never been in a workplace where people have all like regularly talked about it. I've had occasional conversations about it, but never where people have regularly come in and gone, oh, did you see Raw last night, for example? It's funny you say that because my first job was in 2000 and I walked in and it was all women. So I won't say where because Stephen Coriander can't reveal too much about his life. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was all women. And one of the ladies, uh, a woman called Frances, must have been really close to retirement age, 63. And somehow it came out that I like wrestling, which is, as you said, Ben, it's the sort of thing you don't really, you didn't, I wouldn't, I don't care now. I'll tell everyone, anyone and everyone. Uh, but back then you were still a little bit nervous about it. She would religiously watch Raw with her mother, who was in her late 80s, every single Friday night. She absolutely loved it. So, and I don't know whether that was because it was 2000 and it was, you know, everywhere or not. But yeah, so my first work, there was someone that likes it. Everyone else, you're morons for liking that stuff. But there we go. <laughs> I bet Francis is dead now. So that's a slightly uh, bad end to that story. So always have a lot of health problems. Come on, Stephen. We're only 15 minutes <laughs> in. We, you know, we don't need that kind of energy bringing us down. No, sorry. Sorry. R.I.P. So, Matt, what's your talking point? I was initially struggling with this. I, I felt that there was only really two talking points worth really talking about to be honest and i'm glad that they do still seem to be up for grabs so uh i'm gonna take it my talking point is gonna be surrounding the main event i don't know if you want to do the match result first ben before i I go off on my tangent i will do yeah very quickly um so the main event is a four-way elimination match between triple h mick foley big show and the rock each of them have a mcmahon in their corner it lasts for 38 minutes exactly and triple h wins after last defeating the rock that's as a consequence of vince mcmahon turning on him who vince mcmahon being in the rock's corner prior to this match okay so my, my talking point specifically about this match is it, it almost felt like a match of, of two halves and it's easy in hindsight you know especially now how you know how far you know far removed we are from the show to to look back and say that was a bad idea but i, I didn't really sort of notice it until i was looking at my notes i was just going over my notes before we started recording and noticed how sort of startling it was the McMahon in every corner idea now okay um there were times where the crowd did cheer for some interaction between the McMahon so okay and you know they, they were popular characters so I, I get that but it, it really struck me thinking that this is a match for the WWE championship which is as JR says on commentary richest and biggest prize in the game so it's meant to be the most important thing and the centerpiece of the show and it's in the main event so definitely is meant to be the centerpiece 
piece of the show and the company as a whole. Now, like I said, when I was going back over my notes, I was like, I, I remember writing at one point, I had like, you know, Vince did this, Shane did this, Vince did And then I was thinking, right, okay, I've got lots of stuff about the McMahons. Yeah, stuff about McMahons, more stuff about McMahons. I was thinking, for fuck's sake, I was like, there's a WWE Championship match going on in the ring and all they could do was focus on the McMahon stuff on the outside. They just, it really took away from the match. And again, I, I keep coming back to the most important prize in the game. And it just, it, it didn't feel like it. And then in hindsight, I really do think that the McMahon in every corner idea was a really bad one. N- not only that, but like I said, going back to what I said about the, the match being of two halves, it was a mistake as well, I think. And God bless Mick Foley, but not only was it a mistake to have him in the match, it was damn sure a mistake to have the big show in the match as well. Because I really was not liking this match one bit for a good half of it thinking this is really bad and then as soon as Mick Foley and Big Show had been eliminated it was almost like a switch happened as soon as it was just Triple H and The Rock it felt a hell of a lot better and the match quality improved it it flowed better and I just thought how different could this have been had they just gone with Triple H Rock one on one you know the the match result I mean <laughs> that was just a bad idea that the fact that they clearly went with the they kind of wanted to send people home happy which is why they had Rock lay every out afterwards you know rock bottoms all around people's elbows so the rock can stand tall and you know look great why didn't they just give him the fucking title <laughs> if that's what they were going to do if they really wanted to send people home happy that that was the way to go for triple h to retain that was oh such a bad idea even today i, I can't fathom why they did it it was just a stupid idea and yeah they you know we, we've talked about this you know on the pod before ben you know it's so important especially with you know these wrestlemania shows to to make sure that people go home happy and, and feel good about it and feel that you've seen something important and special and it was such a dampener the end of this show just okay knock it off forget about it and yeah bad bad times it's it's something so strange and and familiar about all of this i'm not uh, i'm not really sure uh uh, what's going on just just fucking win the title shouldn't they yeah i don't know where that (laughs) that could possibly relate to of course this is um the first ever heel who wins uh, in the main event of wrestlemania i mean technically technically you'd argue yokozuna won in the main event of wrestlemania 9 but then hogan obviously beat him straight after but yes this is the first time the heel comes out as the winner and i want to go back to 35 years of wrestlemania very quickly because they actually going back to my point right from the beginning which is that this book tries to mesh real life with with uh, the, what's going on on screen uh, and they actually say the words this outcome stunned the crowd as it was the first time in wrestlemania history that the show closed with the heel winning wow. the championship <laughs> I just, I mean, I hate the fact that they use those words in this book. It's just not, that's not what this book's about. This book's supposed to be a little memento of, you know, your memories. And it's got things like that. It just does my head in. Yeah, that that was very unique, Triple H winning. Stephen, what did you, how do you feel about that? Because I could see as as Matt's talking, your face was screwing up and it was shaking your head and all kinds of stuff. I thought I'd got over it, but obviously I haven't. Going back in time, I thought, I really was convinced McFoley was going to win this match and retire retire as WF Championship, which just showed... I knew absolutely. I, probably, I knew even less then uh, than I do now. Is that the right way? I was trying to say that I know nothing now, and I knew less then. <laughs> Something like that. Anyway, this didn't feel like a WrestleMania main event at all to me when it started. Um, and while I thought I disagree with you slightly, Matt, I thought the bits with Triple H, Rock, and Foley were the, were the highlights of this match. But there were some real bad psychological problems with it because, they, like, there's a bit where Foley stopped the Rock hitting the people's elbow on Triple H. It, this was an elimination match, so what? That doesn't make any sense. So you let that happen. 
and then presumably Triple H is out of it and it's Rock and Foley to win so yeah I've, I've had some major problems with, the, with, with some of the stuff in that Foley missing the jump onto the table on the Rock just came off as like really diabolically sad uh, JR did his best to sell Foley's elimination um, and it did draw some booze but this was so cheap compared to what they did a month earlier and just like when I watched it 23 years ago I thought the final bit with uh, Rock and Hunter dragged so much the McMahon's reuniting was awful especially given that Vince had attacked Hunter earlier Shane had attacked Vince just nonsense so WCW just and again avoiding giving people the happy ending on the biggest show of the year and this was just a major major miss in terms of a Wrestlemania main event yeah I, I didn't feel quite as down on it as you but I do get your point there's lots of weird stuff like as you say uh, at one point Vince attacks Triple H in the match when you know what happens at the end what what does that, what sense does that make yes as you say Vince and Shane properly go at it you know properly fight fight it out you can understand if Vince is doing this without anybody else knowing but then again why is he attacking Triple H it just doesn't doesn't flow at all it doesn't make sense very Russo yeah but Russo's not there anymore but no 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 he's not he hasn't been there for what it's a bizarre months? yeah 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 it's bizarre not only that but I, I feel like the reason they did this was less to do with Triple H retaining and more to do with the McMahons and positioning the McMahons again as the, the main heels I think what they did through the story for the rest of this year thankfully didn't go too far in that direction and steered away from that but it did go back to once again Vince McMahon being the main heel and the bad guy authority figure and I think it's then set the tone for WWE television for the next 15 years effectively which is the McMahons or other authority figure in charge the main heel against the main babyface trying to screw them out of titles trying to screw them out of opportunities and I know that it happened two years before with Austin and McMahon but if that had stopped and they never carried on with anything else after that it would have been just a great story but this is where they just reinforced it as being the only thing that they could do creatively to just make the product run i think also the McMahon in every corner was a way of making up for those absences so Austin and The Undertaker not being around they probably felt like Triple H versus The Rock had been done so they'd had a feud in 98 they'd had a feud in mid- middle of 99 as well they did a couple of pay-per-view matches through that time they probably just felt like that wasn't a fresh enough matchup to headline Wrestlemania they also probably felt like if they just chucked everything at this match it would sell this pay-per-view which is why I think The Big Show and Mick Foley are in it and why The McMahons are in every corner we spoke at length so the No Way Out 2000 pay-per-view where Mick Foley is retired by Triple H. That is reviewed in our archive, so you can can listen to that. We talked at length about how Mick Foley should not have sullied his retirement by coming back 40 days later to compete in the main event of WrestleMania. Really stupid idea. And I know he still did retire technically for a while after this, but still, that was the stipulation of that match. You don't want to mess with that. You know, if, if for no other reason you want people to continue to believe that you will have someone retire if they lose in a retirement match in the future. As I said, I didn't mind the match so much I thought the match was quite good and quite entertaining but the end was just just silly and there were lots of plot holes it's certainly not a absolute choice Wrestlemania main event and it probably should have been given who was involved it probably should have just been Triple H rock in the main event they do headline the next two pay-per-views and have a couple of absolute crackers with each other so they probably should have just gone in that direction that's why I'm surprised that they didn't go with Triple H and rock you know as as the main event anyway because like you know like you said that they did have some really good matches you know over the coming months so it was just surprised that they didn't and yeah I mean I, I agree with what you said as well Stephen I mean Mick Foley was just it was really sad to see and 
And I knew the second that he went up to that top rope, I was thinking, there is absolutely no way in hell, given the state that he's in. I was like, he's not going to hit that elbow. Mm. I was so sad to see that. I just thought, oh, man. And, you you know, you could tell that, that there were some people in the... You could tell how over he was still, because there were people in the crowd. There were quite a lot of signs for him in the crowd. And, you know, he, he did get a you know quite a good reaction uh, to, to when he got eliminated. And, yeah, you know, I, I, I agree, Ben. Like, he did completely... It's He shouldn't have come out of retirement. He, he shouldn't have done it. I mean, it's, again, hindsight, but what a bad move that was. Or he shouldn't have been retired in the main event of the pay-per-view and no way out. Like, it's just waited till after WrestleMania. Or he could have gone into this match and said, win, lose, or draw, this is my last match. You know, like, any of those things would have worked. But it screams for me of cheap selling of pay-per-views to say, oh, this is your last chance to see Foley, potentially, so you must watch it. And then, oh, he loses. Oh, but now we're going to have another match anyway. Like, so it wasn't your last chance. It's just, you don't swerve your own fans in that way. That's I just think that's silly. Uh, it's bad PR, ultimately, and, and it just does, it's never going to do anything for your product. Thankfully, for WWE's sake, they were massive at the time and could do no wrong. But you don't want to mess with that too much. And the other thing is, Mick Foley here, 34 years old. Imagine imagine someone retiring at 34 years old these days. Like, it just, it just wouldn't happen. To your point, Matt, about previous Foley matches that we've covered in the last few weeks, his style obviously meant that this was something he had to do, really. He just couldn't keep doing what he did. And in fairness, I think if he'd have stopped, if he'd have cut out the hardcore elements of his work, I think it would have been a pretty sad time anyway. Like, he just wasn't really... I'm not saying he couldn't wrestle at all, but if you watch any of the matches where all he does is wrestle, you can see why it would have been a bit of a sad thing to see him trying to do matches that were just in the ring 100%. Like, there's a match at No Mercy 99 against Val Venus. It's just a match, straight wrestling match, and it's just boring. It's terrible. And it's because he's, he's sort of obviously already starting to try and withdraw from being the guy that does all the crazy stuff so unbelievable really 34 I, i'm still taken aback that did you say he wrestled val venus on pay-per-view in yeah they were well i mean it, again it was i think it was a good will attempt to see if they could get val venus over as a as a heel and push him up the card didn't work but you know it was a b-level it was a b-level pay-per-view you know and there's nothing wrong with giving it a go i don't think and, and it's it, yeah it didn't work unfortunately old man i apologize i know that old man will be listening <laughs> and he'll be upset by our comments but let's be fair <laughs> so yeah that's the main event my talking point i think is going to be about the other match that is on this show that was the one i was kind of thinking will save it if anything and that is the three-way ladder match edge and christian the hardy boys the dudley boys uh it's a match that ends go ends up going for 23 three and a half minutes so another really long match and it's won by Christian and Edge when they walk up the ladder and get the belts I'm going to say this I think this has aged quite badly this match I watched this and thought this match happened now people are like oh it's another ladder match just another ladder match there's one or two moments like the Jeff Hardy jumping off the swanton bomb in the in the aisle which still looks phenomenal and it's a huge ladder and he jumps off and does it on the table but we have seen so many of these matches since in the interim and I know this was the first well I mean I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say it was the first the first was again back to No Mercy in 99 Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys and I imagine if I watched that again I would think that was amazing still I may be wrong because on this feeling I thought this was going to be another like an, an, a case of oh this is a great match I don't think it is a great match anymore I think that this is now a decent ladder match again it's difficult to remove your memory of the fact that we've seen this about 400 times since this point but for me there was just far too much time spent setting up ladders and tables during this match that at the time was probably forgivable because I said it was still a very fresh setup and the, the first time we three 
teams in a match like this. But looking back now, if this match took place now, I'd be like, it was all right. I wouldn't go mad for it. And that, I never thought I'd say that about this match because these matches, this series of matches were revolutionary at the time. But it, it for me, it is really aged. I was shocked at how little this crowd was into this in the early going. And it took Jeff Hardy nearly killing himself in a 450 straight into a ladder to wake them up out of their comas. Um, and I'm with you, Ben. I, I've written in my notes. I don't know whether I've been desensitized to ladder matches, but I really struggled to get into this. And, and you've said on, on this show, and I think we talked about this on, on my show as well, that none of this stuff is, is ever, none of this stuff is ever designed to be critically judged 23 years afterwards, after the fact. But this doesn't age well at all. It really, really doesn't. And, and I loved it at the time. This was, you know, this was the one that saved the show back then. But um, I, I, I thought this was very, very average. And, and as a wider point, I really want ladder matches to go away for a long, long time. There was a horrific injury on the, on the Ring of Honor show uh, with, with um, risks being taken that are far beyond the, the kind of entertainment reward of seeing some of this stuff. Just go away. Just go away. Multi-person matches go away. Multi-person tag team matches go away. Wrestling should, in, in the main, be about tag team versus tag team or individual versus individual. So yeah, not to go off on too much tangent, but I, I, I completely agree with you, Ben. This didn't do much for me at all. Yeah, I saw that thing with, is it Dante Martin? And it is just like you can see straight away. It's ridiculous. I didn't even wait until the end of the clip that was put on Twitter to see it because I was like, I know this is going to go hideously badly yeah. because when they're in the air, it's like what they're completely out of control. What are they doing? This is nuts. It actually and, yeah, made me it, feel sick. I, I didn't watch it live. I didn't know when I watched it. I didn't know what would happen. I watched it spoiler free. And I was just like, it was it, the, the, the bit on the pay-per-view actually shows more than the clip. Just sure. a little bit, like a split second or so. And it's, it's terrific. His it's, it's, foot is facing the wrong direction. It's horrendous. Yeah, horrendous. Yeah. It's, just, it's absolutely not worth it whatsoever. And again, the, the stakes have just been raised constantly over the years. And that's another reason why this doesn't really hold up so much anymore. As I say, the Jeff Hardy jump off the ladder in the aisle, still pretty spectacular. As I said, it's a massive ladder. It's a great visual. You know, they got a great camera angle from underneath and they got a great camera from the wide. And it just, the two of them together, I think, combined really well. But for me, that was the one bit of the match that I was like, oh, wow, okay. That's the kind of visual that made these matches so impressive. But the rest of it, I found, yeah, I think desensitized is probably the word. Matt? Enter the polar bear. I, I do think that it has aged. I, I'll definitely give you both that. But I don't quite feel as strongly as you guys. I, I don't feel it's aged as much as, as you as you perhaps think. There, there are, you know, again, there, there are some stuff in there you do think, okay, you know, maybe by you know the standards of today, it'd be a bit different. But there was still a hell of, hell of a lot of stuff that they did in this that's risky as hell. And even today, if they did it, it's like bloody hell. You know, you mentioned there, Ben, the, the Jeff Hardy swanton still makes me cringe every single time I see it just tailbone smack to the floor just absolutely goes through me I, I thought one of the hardest bumps of the match and almost one of the most stupid ones I'm sure it was Christian and Jeff that, that were on the ladder that got pushed uh, over the top rope and they landed on the floor outside no tables or nothing just smack bang on the floor you don't see a lot of people going over the top and hitting the floor these days because it's just unless there's a table there it's just not worth the risk it's just way too risky you know Jeff doing the 450 I thought was great Bubba Dudley doing the I mean, they called it you know, a sort of modified 3D. You know, I was thinking more RKO, but, you know, same sort of thing off the ladder. You know, we did a powerbomb to Matt Hardy through a table, which I thought was great. Th- this, for me, was was great, and it was really, really good to watch. And what I really enjoyed about it is, without question for me, 
going through all of these WrestleManias that, you know, a lot of them that I've never seen before has, has really been a really fascinating learning curve and, and sort of learning journey for me and, and seeing the starts of these types of matches and to see how the sort of tag team and, you know, the, the ladder match, you know, sort of came, like, how it evolved from this is, is amazing. So to go back and sort of see what they were doing here and what, what's happened today was fascinating. Really, really enjoyed it. Loved the bump the Matt Hardy took um, at the end off the table for Edge and Christian to win. I still get a massive kick out of the fact that they were referring to Edge and Christian as brothers for I don't know how long. And then all of a sudden, one day, I know they just abandoned it, which is fucking hilarious. What do you mean? I thought they were brothers. Kane Undertaker as well, aren't they? Of course they are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just the fact that they referred to you know, Edge and Christian as brothers for ages. And all of a sudden, that just gets dropped. That's just side note. That's absolutely hilarious. Again, can't keep enough praise on this. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. My match of the night. I think I should make it clear. It's my match of the night too. And I did think it was, I still thought it was good. It isn't for me at that level anymore of classic. Having said that, I still believe that when we watch WrestleMania 17 and cover it in two weeks' time, the TLC 2 match, I will really like. Yeah. But we will see. I don't know. I just get this feeling that I, that is better uh, by, a long, by a long shot. But we, we will see. Yeah, you're going to really, we're going to really enjoy that show guys I'm, I'm yeah <laughs> Also, Jeff Hardy's my MVP for that for that that spot. I just think it's a great spot. And uh, yeah, there you go. I was hoping I could possibly bend the rules slightly when it comes to MVP of the night, because I'm not going to lie, I have six. You can't have six. <laughs> Definitely not. Well, put, you, you could probably guess where I'm going if I'm picking six. Edge. Oh, yeah, you're going Christian, for the cat. Matt. You're going for Terry Runnels. You're going for Fabulous Moolah and Mae Young. And you're going for, uh, God, who else is on the show? Oh, um, Pete Gass and Rodney from the uh, Hardcore Battle Royal. <laughs> For me, there's, there's absolutely no way you can give it to one over the other in that match. It has to be all six. You can you can't have all six. You've got to pick someone. <laughs> then it, then it's it's not going to be anyone from that match there. Then do you know what? Wow. Fuck it, The Rock. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, how do we get to the, that? The, and I don't. And I'm going to go on record to say that I don't think he deserves it over those guys. I I seriously think it should be all six. But I'm not. I'm not the one who makes the rules. The ladder match is my match tonight also. But none of them, nor The Rock is my MVP. Watch Lovely. this space. Good. Looking forward to that. So I guess we should make our way all the way back to the start of the show. And we start with Fink introducing Lillian Garcia to sing The Stars and Stripe. Disappointing that that's what they chose to go with here. Not America to be beautiful. But at least they had someone singing. And I didn't think this was a very assured performance from Lillian Garcia. I thought she was a little bit wobbly. Well, it was better than when she butchered God Save the Queen at various UK WWE events <laughs> over the years. So, yeah, I thought she was OK. I thought she was but again, I just thought she was just a bit wobbly and a bit mm, could take it or leave it. She seems to be struggling to find her key to start, to be honest. Maybe it's nostalgia. There we go. Yeah. Lillian Garcia singing gets me every time. <laughs> See, I, I completely right. forgot that Ian Garcia was even in the company at this this time, to be perfectly honest. So um, <laughs> she didn't make any impression on me for a very long time, <laughs> Lillian I mean, Garcia. Yeah. She wasn't a good announcer, I'll, I'll definitely say that. I mean, but she made an impression on me as an announcer. Not a good one, <laughs> but her singing was great. So after that, we get the intro video for the show, which obviously highlights I'm a man in every corner. Not a fan of this voiceover guy. I think he's the guy who did the Monday Night War DVD. And I, and I didn't mind him in that setting, but here with the voiceover for 
for the intro. I didn't really enjoy his contribution. And I didn't really like the big emphasis on the McMahons in this because, again, this is WrestleMania and it's about wrestling, not about the family soap opera. As much as I did appreciate the soap opera elements at the time. McMahonomania. <laughs> Stephen's not. Stephen's making no comment about the McMahons right now. Well, the, the word that pops into my mind was cuntomania, to be honest. But there we go. I mean, you can choose whether you cut that out or not. It's a bit harsh, but probably fair. I don't, I, we'll include I Triple H in that after the booking of uh, Sunday. But there we go. I won't be. I won't be cutting out any any swearing. That's not offensive to me at all. Mark, who's on my show quite a lot, I stayed up with his son, who is seven, and he sometimes listens. So if I, I don't swear all that much in the in the show, although I have got explicit rates on it now, but I have started to swear more, and I had to warn him that um, there was some swearing in the bit because he he was on a bit of it actually. And then later on, one of our our co-hosts dropped a shit bomb in front of him on air as well about the the main event. So yeah, Paul, we did all our best to warning, and then one Stuart let us all down, unfortunately. Well, after this, the commentary team are Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler, classic team, which I think will probably carry us through for a while yet, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. So I don't think we need to say anything specific about them unless you've got any particular comments you want to make. So then we get the entrance of the Godfather and Dealer Brown, but we don't see any of it. And uh, I was trying to figure out why that is. And I now know why, having read the uh, 35 Years of WrestleMania uh, book. Because they were came down to the ring with I'm gonna completely have to slow myself down now because I can't remember whether it was who what the name of the rapper was. Um they came Ice T came down performing a little rap over their entrance theme. Was now I don't Ice know Q? why. No, it was Ice T. Oh, Ice-T. so I'm I was, wrong. Wor- wow. <laughs> I was worried that it might be Ice Cube, which is why I had to slow myself down. Oh, I was okay. like, hang on, I think it's Ice T, but I, I I may end up being wrong and I can't believe I've got the wrong ice there. Wow. <laughs> very, very poor. I don't know why they do this. So they They've brought in Ice T and then had him do a rap over the top of the entrance theme. Why have they not secured the rights for that at the very least? Like, it's not like they've used a licensed piece of music. This is just Ice T coming in, doing a rap over the top of someone's entrance. Theme. Like, how have they not secured the rights to this? Don't know. The thing that I, so I watched WrestleMania, not to interfere with this current journey, because obviously I don't want to do that, but I did do a podcast about WrestleMania 19, which has already been covered in the archives, but it was 20 years on from me going to that. So I watched the DVD version of that and and Voodoo Child, Hulk Hogan's Entrance, all the Limp Bizkit stuff is, exists on the DVD. So I don't know whether America have got different copyright rules or what, what it is, but it feels like if it's on an event, it's, it's, it's okay here to be reproduced, but it doesn't feel like that there for some reason, which is really odd. Yeah, I can't explain that at all. A very, very strange situation. And it's very, very noticeable as well on this, mm. on the on the network version of this. Just suddenly they're in the ring doing, oh, okay. We then get Godfather doing his pre-match pimping an easy spiel. And then we have our opening match match an auspicious start to the wrestlemania card i think you'll all agree it's the uh, godfather and dilo brown against bull buchanan and the big boss man and yes the boss man and bill buchanan win the match after bull buchanan hits a massive leg drop from the top for the win nine minutes this one went as well what a way to start wrestlemania <laughs> do you know th- th- for me that this match had three highlights only three. One of them was, as we just said, the Godfather using his magic to suddenly appear in the ring. I am. <laughs> I, I literally wrote down at the time. I was like, "What the fuck? Godfather's a magician. He just appeared in the ring out of nowhere." So that did make me laugh. And the other thing, uh, well, the other two things which did surprise me, given the, the person involved with them, was uh, was Bull Buchanan. If well, if we did a man of the match, um, Bull Buchanan would be mine for this. This um, is Stephen's um, MVP, isn't it? No, no, no. no. <laughs> He should. I, I can. E- I can easily see why you'd give it to him. I, you know, I, I mean, I, I've seen, you know, certain factions and things that he's been in, and seen that they've 
obviously tried to do things with him over the years, but you know, he, he didn't seem to have that much charisma nor be really that good. But at least in this match, I felt he was relatively athletic, did one really good springboard clothesline, and the leg drop finish I thought was bloody brilliant. That was a hell of a leg drop. So he, he's definitely quite athletic and he impressed me in that regard. Other than that, yeah, this was a, a fairly lacklustre start uh, to what's meant to be the biggest show of the year. So, Bull Buchanan, good for you for keeping me entertained. Well done. Uh, I've got an apology to make to both of you and all of our hundreds of thousands of listeners uh, because Ben runs a tight ship on this podcast. It's a professional outfit. But during this match, the only thing I could think about, I stayed near this arena for a few days, years and years ago and I had an amazing French dip at a sports bar nearby and all I could think about was this French dip and then I went into a wormhole of trying to find out if this restaurant was still open I couldn't remember what the name was it uh, name of it was so I was searching on Google couldn't find it and then I remembered like a light bulb moment that I'd mentioned it in my TripAdvisor review of the hotel yes I do occasionally throw a little TripAdvisor review of a hotel and I found I found my TripAdvisor review with the name of this place and here it is on the Ayers Hotel Anaheim friendly staff excellent location for local sports and the frequent Disney shuttle bus is really handy. The hotel has a social hour with wine and cookies during the week and the decor is interesting and classic in its styling. JT Schmidt's over the road is a great restaurant slash sports bar as well. Can't fault this place for any visits to Anaheim and I found the room rates very reasonable also. And I'm pleased to say the best thing of all is JT Schmidt's. If you find yourself in Anaheim, get yourself to JT Schmidt's and choose a French dip. They've got screens everywhere. One of the waiters asked him how his day day was, and he said, well, I'm alive, so it's pretty good. So obviously he had some problems. Amazing. And uh, back to the match, I was quite surprised the Babyface team lost, and that's all I have to say about this match, I'm afraid. I am glad that you very quickly explained that you get a French dip from a restaurant, because I'd never heard of it before, and I was very concerned about where that story was going. Oh, okay. <laughs> Like, what it's is like a French a, dip? <laughs> it's like a long beef sandwich, like a soft baguette kind of beef sandwich or soft roll with a dip. It's incredible. I highly recommend it. Okay, cool. Well, that's good. And as I said, I'm, I'm pleased it, you get it from a restaurant, you know, because I was yes. worried you might get it from some other kind of establishment. <laughs> and I'm not sure we could have we could have aired that, to be honest. Steve. We'll put <laughs> that on the Patreon. I don't want to see that on the Patreon. <laughs> Okay, no, that's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it's a nothing match, isn't it? Yeah, I can't get over this. I cannot get over that they put this on and they put it on as the first match of the show. And it's not the only nothing tag team match on this show either. So uh, we'll get to the other one in a little bit. And I think right now what we'll do is we'll take a little break because we've uh, covered all our tone points. We've covered the first match of the show and uh, we're nearly an hour in. So I think it's a good time to, to give us a break and we'll be back in a second. We're literally at ground zero, Rock. It's time. Twelve months, twelve months ago, after every interview, after every run-in, after every backstabbing, after every win, after every loss, after everything they've thrown at The Rock, and after everything The Rock has thrown back, after every chokeslam, after every mandible claw, after every pedigree, The Rock says this. Is if he could do it all over again, he will say, finally, The Rock has come back! to WrestleMania. And The Rock says this, it's not about the lights, it's not about the cameras, the glitz, the glamour. It's not about Stephanie's marriage to Triple H, it's not about the McMahon family saga, it's not about 
Mick Foley's final match. It sure as hell ain't about the big show. The Rock says it's about the WWF Championship. And The Rock says, if he has an ounce of sweat to spill, if The Rock has an ounce, a shred, a blood to drop, then The Rock says tonight he's going to do exactly what he does best, and that is go out there and lay up the smack it down on the candy asses. The Rock says he will do it for the millions and millions of Rock's fans. Do whatever it takes, because The Rock, the people's champ, says tonight is the night. Okay, welcome back. So we start the next bit of the show as Triple H and Stephanie admire their respective title belts in an office backstage. And that's pretty much all they do at this point. Stephen's got a lovely smile on his face. He obviously enjoyed this bit. I thought they talked about the size of Stephanie's ring, didn't they? That's what I've oh, got. Oh, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Damon's rings, their belts. Yeah, it's good to be champion. Shit. That was it. I just thought they looked lovely and young, didn't they? <laughs> Yeah. I thought Steph looked all right. You know, that I was like, oh, okay. Oh, you're not a fan of her in the Milf era then, uh, Matt? No, nowhere near, nowhere near as much as this. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, on, that, on that WrestleMania 19 show, we were talking, we went went in some dark places. We started talking about our own mortality. And then I got, I put, I dug myself into a hole when I was talking about how basically now I'm older, I'm more attracted to older women. But I was really talking around it. I was really talking around it, talking around it, talking about it. And I just said, oh, I don't know why I'm being so PC. I just bloody love MILFs. And it's like it's just out there now. So yeah, yeah. What can I say? Yeah, everyone has their own taste. It's all good. <laughs> I don't even want to know what Matt's tastes are. Right. Out later. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so then Jr. and Lawler speculate why Triple H is so relaxed ahead of the No DQ main event this evening, which again doesn't make sense if they're trying to allude to the fact that Triple H knows something about potentially Vince, because apparently he doesn't know about Vince. Vince did this of his own volition, especially if you consider the fact that Vince attacked Triple H during the match. Just doesn't make any sense. Then we get some footage from Heat. Tim White talking to the participants in the Hardcore Battle Royal, telling them the rules. Tim White, of course, recently inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, which is lovely to see a referee get some respect and recognition, and I think he thoroughly deserved it. He also sounded like a New York gangster in this bit as well. He has got quite a heavy New York accent, mm. hasn't he, Tim White? So that up next is the Hardcore Battle Royal. 13 men, 15 minute time limit. The title can change hands as many times as it does during that period. The participants are Crash Holly, who is the developer champion hardcore holly bradshaw farouk funaki joey abs mosh pete gas rodney takamich noku taz thrasher and viscera a celebrated collection of individuals no doubt about it this ends when uh, after taz clamps on the taz mission on uh, crash holly hardcore holly runs in smashes crash holly over the head with jr's candy jar and then pins crash holly in a big old mess of a ending which was definitely a botch and an error and i understand crash was supposed to retain but they failed to get the timing correct so Hardcore Holly actually won by default and having bigged up Tim White just previously I did feel like he he messed up as well during this period I mean first of all he probably most of the timing was on him and secondly having then obviously timed it wrong didn't carry through with the pinfall which he should have done because that's what you're supposed to do so yeah bit of a mess this one Stephen what did you make of it all? Um, There's a lovely sign in the crowd which read X piss plus X puke equals X pack and it was it was perfect 
perfectly done. Like the lettering, everything was just wonderful. A wonderful creation. I'm sure whoever brought that was very proud of themselves. This match, crikey, loads of blood, loads of unprotected weapon shots to the head. Genuinely amongst the worst 15 minutes in the history of professional wrestling. And as you said, Ben, after all that nonsense, they managed to botch the finish. Dreadful. And on the, on the subject of signs, uh, there was another sign in the crowd which read, Steph likes ugly testicles with S-L-U-T bit highlighted. And I wanted to pose the question, are there any good looking testicles? Um, and I can't say I've ever seen a pair of my mate's balls and thought, oh, that's lo- what a lovely pair of bollocks you've got. Much better than my friend James. Now, James, uh, for what it's worth, he has a very saggy pair of bollocks and they're essentially a defect. Like they're very, very low, very low. But yeah, I... I are they good looking bollocks is the question that I thought coming out of this. Sounds like you're more qualified to answer that question than me because I, <laughs> I don't think no. I've seen anybody's testicles other than my own. <laughs> oh really? Well my friends like to do, have you ever not had friends where they like to, like one of my friends put his cock and balls on a dinner plate in front of me once on a boys weekend. I actually said that story at his, at his uh, wedding and I was best man. Uh, and also one of the other things, I didn't go to university but a lot of my friends went to Canterbury and one of their favourite tricks was to get into one of the other person's bed without any clothes on so they would get in they walk someone would walk into the bedroom like what are you doing in my bed pull back the sheets and they just be naked so yeah i think i've seen a lot of bollocks really maybe maybe i should see, see a therapist about that it's a different world Stephen. it's a different world yeah i just i just don't surround myself with people who would do that to be honest <laughs> it's just don't i just don't it's like that thing that I, I think matt was talking about like a while back where he said oh don't you have any friends who would do something shave your eyebrows like, off or something, yeah, something yeah, like that. yeah and i was like i just don't frequent i just do not <laughs> surround myself with people who are like that i just don't do it but I've just very briefly got to unpack there that you're uncomfortable about swearing and what swear words you use, but you're quite happy to openly talk about looking at other bollocks. That's quite interesting. Yeah, eh? So this is not this is the random wrestling review. So any anything all bets are off on this show, sure. aren't they? So That's, anything goes. Yeah, anything goes. That, yeah. that is true. And do you know what? I, I'm sure he's listening, and I hope he's not offended by this. But do you know what? Old man strikes me as a type type of guy who probably loves to get naked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I could easily see him be that type of guy. Like, hey, hey, look, here's my nuts no 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 I, oh, I lived with him for two years don't get me wrong he doesn't he doesn't have any problem walking around in his boxes and that's fine but no he's not that it's just not that kind of person it's just not i mean maybe he is and he's just he's just been respectful of my own my character which is that i wouldn't <laughs> want him to do that um but yeah, I don't know. I've just thought of something horrific as well. Another horrific example for my group of reputable friends. If we're on a stag deal or like a boys trip, we like to get, this is, this is stupid, so stupid. We like to get in the sea, all take our swimming shorts off, twirl them around our head and sing shorts off for the England. It's so, so pathetic. See, this is why this is why the world hates this country. Steve, I know. Because of people like you. <laughs> Brits abroad. Yeah, terrible. There was no one more happy with Brexit than the rest of Europe when that happened. <laughs> Oh my God. Anyway, segueing from one order bollocks to another. Anyway, um, <sighs> this hardcore battle royal. I mean, to, to you know, yeah, yeah, you know, without question, you know, it was an absolute clusterfuck by the end. But I think that's quite generous anyway, because I think it was a clusterfuck right from the start. Tim White explaining the rules to them. You know, we, we covered the segment just before this. It looked like nobody was paying attention and <laughs> nobody give a shit. Which, to be fair, I think was probably the case because I don't think any of them knew what the rules were. And God bless Taz, but he was 
was going for the cover when he was supposed to be the <laughs> champion. Multiple times he was doing this and they had to cover for him on commentary. There was a one point where Viscera was the champion. Nobody went after him for a good couple of minutes. They just left him alone and just continued to batter each other's heads with trays. That's all it was, was here's a tray, I'm going to hit you in the head. Uh, and I have said this on the pod before, uh, w- when I was uh, around about 17, me and a friend of mine, we had our own sort of promotion and we we would put on matches. And I'm telling you now, I've had fucking better matches than this hardcore battle royal. We had far better psychology and selling than anything in this load of shit. It was awful. This put me in a really bad mood to start the show. This was really, really bad. And yeah, the finish was awful. The only remote positive you could take away from this is Taz's suplexes were awesome. Anytime he had a hold of somebody and threw them, that was great. But then the downside to that, again, what put me in a further bad mood is, I remember vividly Taz's debut at the Royal Rumble and how over he was then, to see how over he was then, to being in this jobber battle royal, basically. How the mighty had fallen. Poor friggin' Taz. Yeah, it was a pretty big uh, debut at the Rumble. I don't know how much this is this is him to blame, though. By the end of the year, he was he was on commentary. And I, I seem to remember hearing an interview with him where he basically said he wasn't motivated. He got to WWE, just was not motivated at all. And uh, that's why he ended up being a commentator by the end of the year. Okay cards on the table this is my little um naughty little secret i like this match i don't know why what? i just yeah i don't know why i know it's rubbish but i there are a couple of things about it first of all crash Holly had instituted the 24 7 rule by by this point and so this was a way to contain it, it was to say okay we can't have that nonsense going on at wrestlemania so you've all got to be in a match the 24 7 rule is suspended for a little bit and you've got but you'll have 15 minutes in this match to win the hardcore title which i thought was actually quite a logical way of setting out a match i also quite like the concept not necessarily the hardcore sense of it but i think that where we've seen matches where there's lots going on and there's you know all kinds of stuff going on that you can't see on the television in other instances i thought the silly but here because you have an individual that is the key individual and is the person that you're supposed to be following that's what the camera followed and i quite like that i thought it doesn't matter that there's other stuff going on because the crowd can watch that and it's all a bit chaotic and it's kind of like a film where like a, a battle scene in a film where there's other people fighting but you're concentrating on one person and that's kind of what this allowed if you've got somebody who is the champion or is the person who is it at a given time then you can just follow them around and i quite like that i think you could do this match without it being hardcore you could just have people brawling around the ring and in the ring and fighting but be following one person who happens to be the champion but i even quite appreciate the hardcore bits of it i even loved a bit when they run backstage and uh, they're all chasing after finaki i think that's great that's, that's really fun um i've always liked this match and uh, i watched it again here and I thought you know what I still I can't dislike it I just cannot dislike it I just find it a nice bit of fun yes it's it's ridiculous the the end is all messed up there's a load of nonsense it is played for laughs rather than violence which is crazy given it's a hardcore match it kind of does desensitize everybody to violence in general when you do that but I can't help it I like it <laughs> do you know well, we, we all know that I don't like fun um yeah that's true, that's true. <laughs> and, and while I, I get what you're saying in that you know it's certainly an interesting way of, of maintaining the 24-7 rule for, for the 15 minutes but you can and I think they proved it that you can do it as a story arc throughout the show because not to spoil any future Wrestlemania's but they did it at a future 
at WrestleMania. And some of the highlights, not all of it, but some of the highlights of it, I thought were actually quite funny. And we'll get to that in a future pod. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that they, I don't think they did this because they didn't, they didn't think they could do it. I just thought this was a different way of containing all the hardcore stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I just like it. And I also think that they could do this match, 15 minutes, maybe 10 people. But if you're the champion or the person who's it, so it doesn't necessarily have to be for a title, but just you win by being the last one who has got a pinfall, you could pin other people and eliminate them during the course of the match. That would be a reason to allow them then to have the person who's champion pin other people to get them out of the match. Anyway, they've never gone back to it. I think it's a shame. They should go back to it. I think there's a chance to do something with this, not in a hardcore way, but just in a sort of a normal match environment. Better, for example, than a battle royal, a normal battle royal, in my view, anyway. Next up, we have footage of fan access, which is this is the first year where it was called fan access. Before this, it had become fan fest. So it's a you know major moment in WWE history. Um, and then Al Snow is backstage talking to someone in the toilet. Uh, Steve Blackman asks him what he's up to and then tells him not to do anything silly in their match tonight. This was all part of Al Snow trying to make Head Cheese, the Al Snow and Steve Blackman tag team, uh, marketable. And Steve Blackman wanted to focus on the in-ring. That leads to the next match, which is TNA, which is Tess and Albert against Head Cheese, Al Snow and Steve Blackman. It's a seven-minute contest and it ends when Test hits a top rope elbow for the win on Steve Blackman. After the match, Al Snow and Steve Blackman destroy old Chester McCheeserton, which is Al Snow's surprise for Steve Blackman, which is a little person dressed up in a wedge of cheese. Yeah, I don't know. Matt, I assume you loved it. <laughs> oh, God. I had a funny feeling you were going to come to me first on that then. Just very quickly before I go into the match, there was a bit, you, you obviously mentioned about Al Snow and Steve Blackman in the toilet, but there was a very important part that I, I think that you missed um, just before the match started. And that was the cameraman's excellent work of the very good close-up of Trish Stratus's breasts as TNA were making their way to the ring. I'm not going to lie, I particularly enjoyed that. <laughs> It, I, 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 I'll be honest, I felt like Jerry the King Laura a little bit. I'm not gonna lie, I was a bit, and, and pretty much still am a very big fan of Tristratus, and she definitely was a crush of mine as a teenager, and I was taken back to that time, so that was, that was quite nice to, uh, to start the match off. So, yeah, she, she looked very nice, shall we say. I think I feel a French dip coming on. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be fair. She, she looked nice, you know, for fair play. So 10 out of 10, is it? It's your favourite match. <laughs> I, I'm almost lost for words now anyway, because uh, other than her appearance at ringside, what the fuck was the point of this? Um, I've got something anyway. I do, I do have something. Just match with shit. Who gives a fuck about it? The end bit where <laughs> Al Snow and Steve Blackman beat the shit out of the block of cheese, which is a sentence I never thought would come out of my fucking mouth surely that makes them the heels because the crowd loved the block of cheese which how fucking weird is that i mean they bring this mascot out and they kick the shit out of him what was the point anyway yeah the only reason you should watch this match is to see trish stratus the cheese guy uh was in the toilet and apparently really stank he's like a stinky shit or something in there as well so that's important very important detail that we missed tna's music was so bad like so generic so absolutely nothing and also it sounded like jr was mildly electrocuted on commentary during this while lola was just God, like yeah yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> his headset wanking. kept going. <laughs> yeah, Lawler was basically wanking himself off over Trish under the desk, and like, Jim Ross was electrocuted. So it was just like, it's like, it was so, it was so awful. There was also a sign during this match: "Callie loves Trish's TNA," and I like how this pervert thought that he represented the whole of the state of California with this this uh, point. Now, in my notes, I've got more serious tone in a less savoury sign. Somebody had brought with them something that said "Bring Back Owen." Now, was that what I thought it was? What else or, could it be? What else could yeah, it be? Yeah, what else could it be? I, I hope whoever that was has lived from that day the most miserable of lives, the absolute <laughs> miserable of life. Because what the world, even more of a cunt than Glenn Jacobs, the world's biggest cunt right there. Um, <laughs> this match was so bad, terrible work, devoid of crowd interest. And as you said, Matt, killing the cheese guy, how does that make them baby faces? Actually, I hated the bit where they beat up the cheese too. But I thought about when you were talking, I wonder whether they were attempting to make them heels because they were just a silly comedy act prior to this. And I mm. wonder whether or not this was their attempt to turn Al Snow and Steve Blackman into a proper like serious heel tag team I don't think it was but I wonder whether or not that might have been the original idea and then they maybe just gave up on it at some point because it would have made some sense they're not doing anything else with Al Snow for certain and probably for Steve Blackman either so let's, let's turn this silly tag team which is a one note comedy act into something worthwhile maybe but I don't think it materialised into anything afterwards anyway so that's probably wrong terrible match another worthless tag team match on this show the less said about it the better we've already said far more than we should have done. Then we get some backstage stuff with the cat and Mae Young, where the cat is talking about her match later on. And in the meantime, Mae Young is holding up various different items that cover up the cat's nakedness because she is indeed not got any clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> It was just, yeah, this was just quite, I just, it was a bit crass, some of it, and just, yeah. Put it this way, the, the holding up the jumper would happen to have a cat on it, and talking about how the cat was furry, I was like, for fuck's sake, come on. <laughs> So, yes, indeed. Next up, the Dudley boys are interviewed backstage by Michael Cole. Devon says he doesn't really want to climb a ladder, but they'll still win the titles. Bubba says that they will take WrestleMania and the ladder match to a new level. I was paraphrasing there. I wasn't really willing to go word for word. Any comment on that? I haven't even got a note about it, actually. So, yeah, nothing. Uh, other than his, um, was it, well, I'm assuming he was going with his old stutter gimmick for hmm. thou shall not. And he obviously wouldn't say the word with the Dudleys, but yeah, just that. Yeah, so after this, we get the uh, three-wheel ladder match, which we've already covered. Then backstage, Kevin Kelly is with Mick Foley and Linda McMahon. Linda says that she is happy to give Foley the opportunity to main event WrestleMania. Foley says he wants people talking about the main event for 10 years. He says tonight, fairy tales will come true for him. Oh, you were wrong. Sorry, Mick. <laughs> In both cases, because I don't imagine people were talking about this for 10 years. They probably weren't talking about it for many weeks after this, to be honest. No. I'm making it out that I dislike that match more than I did. I, I thought it was a good match. I just, it wasn't a great match and it probably should have been. Highlights are then shown again of the ladder match. And then we get a crowd pop when Fink, Fink announces it's time for the cat fight. Then Val Venus comes out as a special referee for this match. Val says that while WrestleMania only comes once a year, the big Val Voski comes every single night classic bit of Val Venus pre-match stuff bully for you Val bully for you and what, what a t-shirt he had yeah he had a t-shirt that read I am cocked that was written in jizz so oh. yes yeah no 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 no. there was more than that because there, there was some on the back as well oh was there what oh was yes on the back? it was cocked locked and ready to unload lovely lovely <laughs> which brings us to Terry Reynolds versus the cat two and a half minute cat fight with Val Venus as a special guest referee which ends when Terry is thrown out of the ring 
but Val misses it and Moolah then drags Cat out, at which point Val sees Cat out of the ring and awards the match to Terry. So the way you won this, by the way, is just to throw your opponent out of the ring. So, Stephen, I know we've spoken a lot about work rate and technical proficiency in the ring. Um, how did you think this matched up to the likes of uh, Okada, Tanahashi, <laughs> Osprey, Omega and, and the like? At least it was short, I suppose. But I, all of my observations aren't about the, the quality of wrestling in this. The, the, the first one, other than the Jizz t-shirt, which if anyone's got that t-shirt in a large or extra large, at me on Twitter, because I'm happy to buy that from you. Val had a shiny towel around his waist and I thought, I can't imagine that material would be particularly good for drying your hair after maybe a dip in the pool. Um, so not a great towel. He also snogged both girls and May tried to get her boobs out again and May snogged Val. And I was left with one question at the conclusion of this match. Was the WWF actually fucking shit in 2000? Because it felt a lot like that. Mm, I, I know what you meant. Watching this, I was a bit like, oh, maybe I've been wrong all these years because I mm. genuinely do believe this is the best year in WWE's history. <laughs> I just think this is an aberration. This show mm, is an aberration. Yeah. But maybe I'm wrong. I mean, look, as you said, Mae Young did what she did at the Rumble earlier in the year, um, which wasn't particularly a pleasant thing that they did. So, yeah, maybe I am wrong. Do you know what? This weekend, I've seen Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair, and I've seen Oscar versus Bianca Belair, and then I've seen this. And what a fucking massive gap in difference and and how far we've come along, eh? And not only that, because it's almost, not even almost, it's evident on this show how night and day they could be in terms of how they present some of the women on their roster. Because soon after, you had China, who always seemed like a big deal, no matter what she was doing. And then you have this, which I'm not sure really what it says. I mean, the, the fact that the crowd popped quite a bit when the match was announced and they're ready for the cat fight. They were, they were looking forward to it, which, okay, all right. Again, don't quite, don't quite know what that says about the audience at the time. The only sort of other observation I've got is that initially I, I wrote down that I thought the Val Venus was probably one of the luckiest people around to, to be selected for the referee until, obviously, he then had to kiss Mae Young as well. And in fact, he probably had to kiss her longer than both Terry and Kat. So yeah, he, he got screwed in the end, but... I bet she was the best kisser of the lot. You know, in her her 70s at this point, I bet she had all sorts. You'd have the best night of your life with Mae Young, no doubt. No doubt. Something tells me just there were people in the back who were probably laughing their head off of that. Sure, yeah. Ha ha, Val. This was no good. What what, what else can you say about it? It, Jerry King Laura probably had the time of his life, though. This match is kind of characterised by the final moments, which is after the match is finished. May Young Bronco Busters Moolah and then Cat unsuccessfully tries to rip off Terry's trousers very unsuccessfully and that's the end of the match and that kind of sums it all up really for me so then we get backstage so Radicals talking Eddie is excited about China and says tonight is his is her lucky night meanwhile China and Too Cool are watching on a monitor somewhere else in the building that is to set up China and Too Cool versus the Radicals which is Di Malenko Eddie Guerrero and Perry Saturn a nine and a half minute contest which um, sees China hit a press slam and a reverse DDT on Eddie and get the pin. Steven? Yes. This was okay, actually, which is rarefied air on this show. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say about it, really. I've got some notes, but they're not particularly good. So, obviously, my standard of note-taking <laughs> was bad during this match. All I've got to add, really, is Lawler continually saying Latino Heat was torture. 
if if I had any all sorts of awful secrets, if he kept saying this to me, I would give up those secrets just to get him to stop. And China's trousers exploded uh, during a powerbomb attempt by Eddie, which could have been really bad for her on pay-per-view. And I think they went to the finish a bit sooner than they were planning to because of this. So, but yeah, this was this was fine. I, I think this, apart from the, the the tag ladder match, this is the best thing on the show up to this point. Wow, that that speaks to the uh, the overall quality of the show. I think mm. <laughs> the, the, this one didn't work for me. It really felt like pretty much just a bit, bit of a nothing match until uh, Scotty Too Hotly got the crowd to go absolutely crazy for the worm, which even to this day, like it, it amazes me how such a simple thing got over that big. So so all the power in the world to Scotty Too Hotly for that. that that's amazing and too cool as a whole, actually, because hell, even their dancing really gets the crowd going. So, so fair play to them for that. China, I thought, was probably the highlight of this. And again, like I said, it's just you compare the presentation of one woman here to compared to the women prior, and it really is night and day in terms of what they could do even then. I thought China was great in this. Yeah, I think I know what you mean, Stephen. It did definitely look on the powerbomb spot like there was potentially going to be a bit of a bit of a nasty wardrobe malfunction, which I think mm-hmm. she, she just sorted in time. I think she noticed almost straight away and managed to sort it. But um, like I said, she, she was probably the, the best thing in this match for me. And I, I know that it, it did continue the sort of the, the angle between her and Eddie, which I know a lot of people are quite fond of. So, yeah. Yeah, she kind of inexplic- inexplicably decided that she liked Eddie about a month later and then they went on a run together. This was shaping up all right, actually. The first 30 seconds, I, I was kind of like, oh, maybe this is maybe this is the sleeper I've been been waiting for. The exchanges between Eddie and Scotty Too High were damn good. I think Scotty Too High had, actually had a really good year in 2000. There's a couple of times when he stepped up and actually had some really decent matches. And the difference in quality between him and Grandmaster Sexair at this point was very stark, I thought, that Brian Christopher was definitely on his way down in terms of overall quality of his work. And he felt a lot sloppier. Other than the fact that WWE would, in, in the end, win the Monday Night War, do you think Dean Malenko and Perry Saturn possibly regretted ever going to WWE? They didn't really get much out of it, did they? No. Perry Saturn in particular, I, I think, would have regretted it because the, the closest thing he had to a memorable angle was to do with the mop. So I think he definitely regretted it. Dean Malenko, I mean, he did. Yeah, Nothing. He probably, didn't do anything. Yeah, he, no. he probably. I mean, he he won the, the you know the the light heavyweight title, which yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, probably probably regretted it too. Yeah, I can't disagree. I think the only thing with with Malenko is didn't he work there as an agent for some time and then he got a job in AEW. So maybe that's the only thing that is a saving grace for him. But Saturn is lost without trace, isn't he? I think. Yeah, Dean Malenko did get to play James Bond as well for a bit, so that was that was fun. Uh, that but James Bond gimmick for a while, didn't he? You, unless you watch Sunday Night Heat at the time, you won't know about. It, oh no, I can't remember that at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, on Heat, he had a sort of James Bond game where he'd come to the ring with two girls and would be like, he was just a smooth kind of guy. But um, yeah, you wouldn't, as I said, if, unless you watched the Heat every week on a Sunday on Channel 4, you wouldn't have seen it. <laughs> we then see something about the WrestleMania All Day Long contest, which, to be honest, I had no clue what this was about. It felt very undersold, very underhyped whilst it was going on. And we saw them kind of in a private jet and in the front row and in a limo. And it was very lost on me, to be honest. I'd, it kind of went over my head. I didn't even. I didn't realise this had happened and it didn't feel like they really cared that it happened they just kind of felt I don't know obligated to tell everyone that these two people had won this contest so that year I, d- I can't remember how long the show was but you could buy a, for an additional amount of money not in the UK um, for an additional amount of money I think it was 12 hours of Wrestlemania you'd, you'd start at whatever time and it was all like hype and old clips and stuff um, and we actually in the UK we actually got the end of it so after this cuts off the pay-per-view cuts off there was probably about another 
the 40 or so minutes they showed on Sky, I think, at the time. But this segment was phenomenal for me. So they turned up at Bridget's house in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And it's fair to say that Bridget probably wasn't going to be travelling anywhere or have the funds to go on any, do anything nice in her life, essentially. Bridget had had a tough life. She said she'd never been on a plane before and that she couldn't believe that she'd won this contest. Albeit, Bridget did not put her cigarette down the whole time she was being filmed by the WF camera crew. You know, priorities and all. And this is my MVP of the night. Bridget <laughs> from Allentown, Pennsylvania, for not putting your cigarette down while she was being filmed on WrestleMania. My hat off to you. I hope that you had an amazing time in Anaheim at WrestleMania. Fantastic stuff. Bridget, well done. Good stuff. You covered that in far more detail than I could have ever imagined. <laughs> I don't imagine Matt's got anything to say about it either. No. So then we get the Big Show backstage with Shane McMahon. Shane says that Big Show is the next WWF champ. He says that tonight the Shane and Big Show era begins. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, Shane. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> We then see some footage from Heat where Bob Backlund is revealed as being the man behind the idea that Angle should defend both his European and Intercontinental titles in tonight's match against Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho. Angle puts Backlund in the chicken wing as a receipt for this. Then we see Angle talking to security, asking for extra protection after he wins his match tonight, celebrates with the fans. Anything to say about either of those little bits? No, I've not got any notes on either of them actually, which is odd. That's fine, because that brings us to Chris Jericho coming to the ring and taking the mic and enters in a promo using his tired as hell catchphrases. And I got to be honest, this is dreadful. Chris mm. Jericho, how did you ever get over again after this? And he was doing this for about two years and it was absolutely terrible. I thought it was honestly one of the lows of the show. Like, And we've seen some lows on this show. But Jericho's pre-match promo, I thought was utter garbage. It was cheesy. It was forced. It was tired. It was awful. I've got in my notes that after that promo I went and looked in the mirror and asked myself why I A bought a Y2J shirt in 2000 and B <laughs> wore it to insurrection about six weeks later this was dreadful dreadful it worked <laughs> oh no it didn't it, it was so it, forced whether it was forced or not the crowd hung on to every word they were loudly going the never again but they were into it they loved it that's what you want I don't think they were that into it I think there were some people into it I don't think it was it wasn't like The Rock getting people to, to sing along with him there was a smattering of about 20% of the crowd who were into it but ugh, just awful just terrible anyway that preceded the Chris Jericho Chris Benoit Kurt Angle two full match one of the falls for the European title one of them for the Intercontinental title a cage match breaks them down as two different matches the Intercontinental title triple threat match lasts eight minutes um, and the European European title match lasts five and a half minutes. The Intercontinental title is won by Chris Benoit when he pins Chris Jericho. And the European title is won by Chris Jericho when he pins Chris Benoit for the European Championship. Matt, what do you think of the match? This is a hard one for me to talk about. Because, um, I, I mean, I've, I've, def, I've, got, I've got notes on it. You know, m mentions multiple moves. But with all three guys involved, I had a lot higher expectations for this. And don't get me wrong, I, particularly, you know, with, you know, Kurt Angle as well in particular. I know it was early on in, in some of their careers. But, yeah, I, I still had a lot higher expectations for this. And it, it never really felt like it sort of left... 
you know, second gear to me. They obviously tried to do a couple of things. You know, there, there was a, there was one or two good spots in there. You know, Ben what did his headbutt. Um, you know, the Jericho did the double power bomb, which fair play to him. You could tell took a bit of strength because God bless him, he was struggling to get Kurt up for that second power bomb. But they tried. You know, there, there was a ref bump. You know, Benoit had a visual, had the visual tap with the crossface. But the ref wasn't there for, for the time that they had. I, I don't know if it was the stipulation, maybe. Not, you know, when I was thinking about it afterwards, I, I, I felt that had I been watching it at the time, the stipulation might have been telegraphing the finishes a little bit. So, I, you know, maybe at the time I was thinking, oh, I don't know if I would have liked that. But I don't know. This this was actually, I, I don't want to say poor because I, I don't think that's really fair. But I don't think this was that good. And again, for the, for the caliber of guys involved, this this really should have been a lot better. I'm going to say poor. I thought this was bang average. And I thought to start off with, just when you're having the absolute time of your life watching WrestleMania 2000 again, Chris Benoit comes on screen. I mean, I don't know how you two feel. And I'm interested, actually. I'm going to ask you. Um, how, I, I don't ever watch his matches out of choice. I couldn't throw on a Chris Benoit DVD. And I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. But I'm always interested in the answer other people give to this. Because, you know, some people... I had someone on my podcast right in the early days called Marie Shadows, who said that she didn't think Chris Benoit and Ryan done it, which is uh, interesting. I didn't invite her back. So yeah, I just, I just, I, I, I would never like throw on WrestleMania 20 main event and watch it for enjoyment. But that's not to say that I feel like if, if other people can separate that. But I, I find it a bit of a struggle really to critique any of his stuff, and I just don't really want to see it. Though I will watch it for the purposes of completism on a on a podcast such as this. But what do you think? How do you feel about him and his matches? Doesn't bother me at all. But then I don't think I would go. I go back to watch anybody's matches specifically. Do you know okay. what I mean? Like, yeah. if I was to go back and watch matches, which I don't do at the moment because we do the podcast, and to be honest, watching the shows for this podcast is about all the time I've got for wrestling to yeah. watch wrestling. But if I did, I would go back to see matches that I really liked. There's one match actually I did even consider watching recently. I don't know why. Oh, it's because it's in the lead up to this this pay per view, which has got Benoit in it, but it's not really his match. It's a ten man tag match on Raw, oh, yeah. main evented yeah. Raw, and it's all the return of Kane and Paul Barron. It's just for me one of the great Raw main events because it's just super heated super fun you know everybody's massively over as the rock mankind too cool and rikishi against triple h i think probably x back and three of the radicals but it's just it's just really exciting just really really awesome and then it has the end where kane kind of comes out and uh, paul bearer returns with him and it's yeah it's just brilliant but for example that wouldn't affect my enjoyment of that match it just i don't struggle with it at all and, I, and that may sound callous or or, or whatever or cold but I completely separate yeah. the on-screen persona from who he is off-screen. The only time I've had a little bit of trouble with it, we covered No Mercy 2006, possibly a couple of years now ago, at least 18 months ago, I think. And there's a match there between Benoit and William Regal, which is actually really, really good, but really brutal. And during it, you're like, this is why yeah. ultimately what he would end up doing happened, these kinds of matches. So that's difficult when it's really in your face as a direct consequence of what you're doing. he's doing in the ring at a given time. But yeah, more often than not it doesn't it doesn't bother me it'll be interesting to see how i react to benoit winning at wrestlemania 20 i'm glad i'm not on that show yeah i really am <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because that, that's the one that i i like i knew was coming relatively soon and i was thinking hmm that that, that is going to be interesting to, to see that i mean if if a benoit match comes on a show that i'm watching then, then yeah you know I, i'll watch it i'll review it no, no problem with that i i won't go out of my way to you know like there's there's loads of matches that the benoit has had and there's things that he's been involved in 
that at the time I would have considered my favourite. Like he, he had a documentary come out, you know, not long after he won the world title, which is one of my favourite at the time anyway, was one of my favourite wrestling documentaries. I thought it was amazing. But that's something that's now completely dead to me. You know, I'm not ever going to go back and, and rewatch that because that very much is, is celebrated him. So that, that's done and dusted. But like if a match of his comes on, I'll, I'll watch it. But yeah, I'm definitely not going up my way to, to, to pick anything of his out. I wonder whether or not as well, like part of it for me might be that if I'm honest, I always thought he was a little bit overrated and I never really, I had no emotional connection to his work ever in my entire life. Like when he was actually around before, before everything that happened, he wasn't someone I particularly was like, oh, I must watch his matches or I really enjoy his work. Just, I just never really did get there. Now, actually, funnily enough, retrospectively, when I've watched some of his stuff, I've appreciated more than I, than I did at the time. So I wonder if that's part of it as well. I just didn't have any emotional connection to him whatsoever. So it wasn't like a thing, you know, obviously other than the shock of it actually happening it wasn't like a, a jolt of emotional reaction from me because i didn't have an emotional attachment to him anyway i think the thing for me is i liked him a lot in the wcw days i mean when i first started watching nitro and i wasn't watching much wwf when it was nitro was first on here he was always the best guy i thought and i really liked his his character my nephew uh who went to a few shows with me around 2003 2004 he he and he what is my nephew 10 years younger than me um so he would have been young then sort of like 12 13 something like that he was his Benoit was his favourite wrestler I'm not on 20 so I'll tell this story really quickly now I met him that weekend and had my photo taken with him and Roma Mysterio and I had a little like a not a very long like a 90 second two minute chat with him he was very gruff and not very nice his Ray was great I mean whatever and like I, I I bought into the emotions of that weekend being at the being at the event live and you know whatever you know lots of people liked him far more than I did and were probably far more effective but it it just it makes me feel really odd about that weekend now because of him and and the stuff with Eddie because that was that was the closing sequences you know with the son who ended up dying in the ring I mean it was it's just I always wanted to go to Wrestlemania but to do it in Madison Square Garden I never thought that would be possible and it, it just kind of makes me feel very un not sure uneasy is the is the right way but just I have a very odd feeling about that whole thing and then the night it happened so it came out in the day the night it happened I was lying in bed thinking about it and my friend Lewis who just happened to be coming around to watch Raw so we watched the tribute show when we knew what had happened I was lying in bed and I couldn't sleep and then I realised that the photo of me and Chris Benoit was underneath me in the bed so it was like and that really freaked me out and I like got it out I'm like I don't know what to do with this like, what do I do with this there's a photo here of me with someone that's m- like a double murderer so I, and I actually I don't remember what I what I ended up doing with it but I certainly got it out of my bedroom but yeah it's just a weird I have a, I have a, I have a strange set of, as I'm sure a lot of people do I have a strange set of emotions when it comes to him and all of that stuff yeah and I think a lot of people do the other interesting thing for me actually thinking about it is that there are three Wrestlemania's that I'm not that familiar with if I'm honest I've seen them I think but I'm not that familiar with them 20 23 and 22 those are the mm. three i just don't really have very many i can barely remember them and i can certainly i know everything that happens certainly at wrestlemania 20 because i remember actually one of the reasons i haven't seen it or i haven't I have very strong memories of it is that i tried to record it and it only recorded the first hour oh okay yeah, yeah. And, and at the time and so and i was also at, i think by that point at university so i didn't have time to kind of find it somebody else who would have had it or whatever so i think it's just another reason why for me benoit just never it just never was he was never a fixture in my wrestling enjoyment really other than mm. you know obviously there were some matches during this year and the following year but yeah in the main i just it just wasn't i, I don't know why i just i never really had that emotional connection in any yeah. way 
In terms of my thoughts on this double match, which is kind of what it is, yeah, it's, it's not poor, I suppose, but it is average. And it should, I think it's basically another match in a number of matches here where I went in thinking this will be better than it actually was. So I count the ladder match in that, I count the main event in that, and I count this and that. All of them should be better or, well, in the case of the, ta- the ladder match, I would say I was expecting it to be better, but the other two should be better and they're not as good as they, they should be. It is early in Kurt Angle's time. There are are some moments where they have a few exchanges where you can see the talent they've got but it just is not consistently evident throughout and it's not the best i guess from a story perspective kurt losing both titles without being pinned or submitted is is a way to protect kurt angle and kurt angle obviously would have that meteoric rise over the course of this year which ended up with him being the champion and he was phenomenal and this was a year talking about emotional connection i massively loved kurt angle i thought he was brilliant right from the get-go i just loved the concept of the character at first which was this you know, really clever twist on the American hero, which is basically, I think now is almost a little bit like overdone, but at the time was quite unique. Certainly the way they introduced Kurt Angle, I thought was really clever in that they kind of introduced him as if they were with a straight face presenting him as an American hero type character at a time when they knew that wouldn't work. And it was bizarre and, and really, really clever. As I, said. I think I just thought it was a great, great year in general that, that year for Kurt Angle. So next up, we've got Michael Cole backstage with Vince McMahon. Michael Cole asks, will he be a factor in tonight's match? Vince says The Rock is very confident whether he was in his corner or not. Vince says he guarantees to make it right in the match later. Wonder what that means. Wonder what that means. Horrible old bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Then Triple H and Stephanie react to Vince because they're watching on the monitor. Triple H says it's not about what's right. And he says he will not allow himself to lose the WWE title because he is that damn good one thing we didn't say about triple h is that triple h comes out to his the game music mm. which i actually like better than all the motorhead stuff <laughs> i'd much rather him come out to the game music than the motorhead stuff personally i did really like it i think his main theme tune i would put a smidgen above it the motorhead i think one. that's fair i think that but i do fair, really actually. like i do really like that original triple h theme tune it makes me think about rebellion 99 they did the dusty finish with rock in a cage which uh yeah very good time i, I do like it i do feel it suits him but yes, I, I, I'm of the era of the, the Motorhead song, the game that for me that that's as iconic as it gets. Yeah, and I think to be honest, if I if I really did think about it, I'd probably do like that one better. But I just think that it kind of got mixed up with all the, all the others, the evolution and then the bloody King of Kings. And I'm like, ah, fuck off. Just give me this one instead. <laughs> then Road Dog, X-Pac and Tori come to the ring and Road Dog does his pre-match stick. Another one with some pre-match stick to do. They do a big old suck it, which everyone cheers along with, even though they are the heels, which I think in this day and age, I would give a proper criticism of because they should not be courting that kind of reaction and I therefore need to give the same criticism to this because it was very silly which brings us to the last match we have to cover on today's show which is Kane and Rikishi against Degeneration X the Road Dog and X-Pac this one ends when Kane tombstones X-Pac and gets the pin this was at the culmination of a long feud between Kane and X-Pac that had gone on I think since the previous Survivor Series it wasn't really a, a particularly auspicious way of ending the feud four minutes long this tag team match and Kane and Rikishi make for a very strange tag team partners in general all a bit odd after the match there's uh, some stuff with uh, Too Cool they arrive and try to get Rikishi to dance the chicken then from last year arrives last year's Wrestlemania and he wants to join in everyone presuming that this is Pete Rose 
Rikishi too cool and the chicken do the dance. Then Kane grabs the chicken. But it turns out that the chicken's not Pete Rose because Pete Rose then turns up from behind with a baseball bat. But Rikishi stops him from hitting Kane and then Kane gives him a chokeslam. Then Rikishi stink faces him. So Pete Rose is a, a glutton for punishment, apparently. Stephen. I agree with you about the heel stuff. That really grated on me, uh, but didn't grate on me as much as uh, Jim Ross saying that Rikishi will back that ass up in perhaps <laughs> the lowest moment of his on-air career. And that includes his face being shoved directly into Vince McMahon's anus. The crowd enjoyed Tory being assaulted and poor Pete Rose, we talked about it, or you talked about it, got choked down. And then he got Shigella afterwards, courtesy of a Rikishi uh, stink face. Now, Shigella, for the listeners that aren't familiar, or you two that aren't familiar, is an illness that you get, or a human can get, when faecal matter gets into their mouth, into your mouth, most commonly associated with rimming or that sort of activity. So, um, yes, nasty business. Is that genuine? Did he did he get that? No, I don't know. I've just made that last bit. <laughs> but the, the illness is a genuine illness. Yeah. I, no, I just wondered whether it was the reason why he wasn't on any like well, on the next year's one. <laughs> I now I I hope I really hope it was the reason. I'm I'm too I'm too trusting. That's the problem. <laughs> I mean that that sounds plausible. <laughs> I mean to be honest, I I don't really know what further I can add really to you know, I mean to that ridiculously interesting fact because yeah there, there wasn't really a lot to this. I mean it, no matter how many times I I hear it said I've seen it the signs in the crowd you know King on the commentary calling Kane the big red retard. No matter how many times I hear it, I just think just don't say that. It, it just really bugs me. It's just not necessary but whatever it's sign of the times rikishi gave a well sort of a cutter um at one point which i was like oh okay that's interesting for him Uh, other than that yeah i absolutely can't stand the sting face i feel sorry for any performer who's ever had to take that just yeah you're having a fat guy's ass shoved in your face (laughs) just not good yeah there there wasn't a whole lot to it match was short so at least there's that and yeah considering it was meant to be a big feud between kane and x park what a what a way to call it a day i did notice when uh Rikishi gave the stink face to Pete Rose. He did it in a less wedged in way. Let's put it that way. <laughs> he, did, he didn't back that ass up that much. <laughs> no, he backed it up, but he backed it up lower down so that his, under, his chin was above all the nasty stuff. So I, I did notice that. A couple of just random thoughts here. First of all, Tory not being part of Degeneration X induction into the Hall of Fame, I thought was a bit wrong. China should have been part of it as well, of course. But both of them played a, a pretty significant role for quite a long time. Tory in particular was there for a good 18 months in the in the faction or about thereabouts so she probably should have been in there with them no no mention at all of her unfortunately didn't even think of that actually no son also this is where for me austin and, and undertaker's presence is lacking most because this match would never have existed if they were if they were around i get the impression that certainly rikishi and Tukul should have been in a match together the fact that Tukul team with china and rikishi was then team with the cane doesn't make an awful lot of sense no. i wanted to quickly talk about what we thought would have happened had in particular austin been available for the show because the, because the Undertaker kind of got injured sort of autumn time. Austin needed to have surgery and that became apparent sort of October, November time. And of course the WWE did swerve their fans even worse than the way they did with Mick Foley at No Way Out because they actually pretended that Austin was going to be in the main event of Survivor Series knowing full well that he wasn't going to be and they knew full well at least at least a week if not a couple of weeks beforehand. 
But presumably the, the, the plan would have been Austin versus The Rock 2 at this show. And there was a quite a strong rumour that Austin would have turned heel in the process at this one, which makes me wonder whether they that's why they then made him turn heel the following year, which we'll probably talk about in the next show. Almost as if, well, that's what we were going to do. So we'll just do it you know, a year later, forgetting the fact that obviously they were going to be in Texas. I wonder what else would have been on the show, though. One thing I was thinking, I wonder if Triple H would have faced Vince McMahon because they had the match at Armageddon, which main evented Armageddon in 99. But I'm not sure that would have happened if Austin had still been around. So mm-hmm. I wonder whether this had been this would have been where Vince and Triple H had their match. Um, as for everybody else, Mick Foley probably wouldn't have been on the show. I think he says in his book he was talked into sticking around for a few months because of Austin's injury. And therefore, I guess Big Show and Undertaker possibly against one another because they had been in the unholy alliance as a tag team in 99 so that probably would fit in terms of them splitting up and then going into a match at this wrestlemania but that, that's just a load of guesses any thoughts on any of that no i i would i would agree with all of that i think that the vincent triple h match makes a lot of sense to hold that off for a, for a, for a longer period going back at, going back to survivor so i wonder who was supposed to win that triple threat mm. between triple h rock and austin i've never heard that actually in terms of you'd think triple h would possibly retain there in a triple threat but maybe not i don't know I don't know it depends I, I think maybe it depends what they were going to do if they were going to do the austin hill turn i don't know do you have austin go in as champion to wrestlemania possibly i don't know and then turn hill to retain to keep the belt because that that for me feels like a better heel turn than winning the title i don't know for me there's something more not original but something a little bit less done about somebody retaining the belt by turning heel rather than winning the belt by turning heel but it's difficult and i guess they could have gone in any direction ultimately couldn't they triple h could easily have dropped the belt to either rock or austin in the in the build up to this the other thing i wanted to say was about triple h i know kind of obviously we've left the main event behind but i think triple h you, you i remember Stephen, you talking about wrestlemania 14 when you were talking about Triple H turning heel at WrestleMania 15 and saying it kind of it kind of stunted his, his momentum a little bit for for a few months. But actually, I, I think it probably did. But I also think at the same time, it was from a strategic perspective, a, a, an absolute ace move by Triple H, knowing that Austin and Rock were both going to be baby faces. He was basically setting himself up to be the only top heel around and face yeah. them both for the rest of time, basically, or at least for the next couple of years. And and I think ultimately for him to go from where he did at WrestleMania 15, turning heel on X-Pac to being the winner as a heel in the main event of WrestleMania 2000 shows what a shrewd operator he was even at this time. Yeah, I completely agree. So, you know, he's, he's, he's mentioned that in all fairness in the past as well. I think it was on one of his DVDs and he said that, you know, like he saw like, you know, like Rock and, and Austin as being as like the, the top baby faces. He was like, look, well, they're going to need somebody to go against. So why don't I, you know, why don't I be like the best bad guy I can be? And you're absolutely right. It, it was a fantastic business move and worked, worked well for him. There's one last thing on the show that we haven't covered. It's backstage Kevin Kelly with The Rock. Huge Rocky chance. This is a typical Rock promo. It's brilliant. It's magic. It's classic rock. It's exactly why he was super over, super popular. That's it. That was probably the best thing on the show, with the, with the exception possibly of Jeff Hardy's jump off the uh, old ladder. So I guess we come to our overall scores, our overall thoughts on the show. I'm actually really interested in this. I don't know where anyone's going to go. I think Stephen's going to come in very low indeed. So we'll go to you first. I thought this was really, really atrocious and I hadn't remembered it being anywhere near as bad as this. The crowd were terrible as well, but it wasn't exactly like they were served up classic action. They were served up 
slab after slab of turd. Gimmick match after gimmick match. No properly built up one-on-one feuds. The only one-on-one match was what, the Cat and Tory, I think? Yeah, yeah. Such a miss when it felt like the company could do so wrong. The company could do no wrong, not so wrong. <laughs> yeah, I gave WrestleMania 2 3 out of 10. And I can't in good faith give this show higher than that because the LA portion of WrestleMania 2 was better than this. I found that more entertaining than this. So it's 3 out of 10 for me for WrestleMania 16, 2000, whatever the hell you want to call it. Yeah, just a, a, a terrible, terrible show. Wow, that's a really, I mean, a really low score. But I kind of expected it after some of the stuff you said, Stephen. Matt, what, what was your, where are you? Yeah, um, I, I can't say that I was particularly blown away by this either. Um, I think if you look at it, aside from, I'd say, the 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 tag, uh, the tag, you know, the triangle ladder match and the, the main event, in many ways, it felt like a glorified house show. And to be honest, I feel like I've seen better house shows, you know, live than this. So quality wise, yeah, it was really poor. Like I said, given my match of the night was the triangle ladder match. Uh, my MVPs of the night unofficially are going to be all six people in the tag team but seeing as i'm not allowed no, that not allowed to everybody that's what i'm actually going with no um, not allowed it, it's it's the rock other than other than that who, who's my official uh, mvp of the night and as for my score for the show i was sort of struggling way to go with it but i'm gonna give it a four four out of ten Wow. Okay. Cool. For me, I've given this a, t- a six, which I, it seems crazy now. But uh, to be honest, when I first watched it, I even contemplated giving it a seven because I thought the main event was a seven for me out of ten, which is I give good matches, but not but nothing spectacular. If you see what I mean, nothing nothing really great. And the and the ladder match I thought was about the same, maybe a little bit a notch above that. But neither were what I expected. They were definitely the only highlights on the show. The rest of it's average at best. There's some real nonsense. There's some not great stuff in general, but yeah i still enjoyed it i thought it was still a good show put it this way before we went into this series if you'd have told me that wrestlemania 15 would get a higher rating from me than wrestlemania 16 i'd have been shocked but it does it, it definitely is a better show so yeah six for me overall that means we've got a 4.33 average rating for wrestlemania 16 which is not particularly good um, and i'm just very quickly trying to scramble to find out where that sits in the table so wrestlemania 16 is below wrestlemania's 6 7 13 5 8 15 14 3 and 10 so it is above wrestlemania 12 and above wrestlemania 1 9 4 11 and 2 but yeah on the lower end of the scale well that's everything that's wrestlemania 16 done i'm sure everybody's very very pleased with that okay well thank you very much for joining us today matt pleasure as always gentlemen and also to you Stephen coriander thank you gents loved it as always we will be back again in a couple of weeks time with wrestlemania 17 does the attitude era finally redeem itself with a really really good show we will find out until then take care